So not only metronomes can get synced together, but people can get synced together. And this morning we're talking about getting synced with the rhythm of the Gospels. And, what, and there is a rhythm that God has introduced into the world that is something entirely different than anything mankind has ever experienced, especially in the realm of religion. You know, up to the point of Jesus coming into the world, people were building temples and pyramids. They were uh, submitting themselves to these lengthy rituals and sacrifices. And, you know, they made uh, religious uh, experts and they called them priests and they did all this work. And, And most of mankind operated on this one principle. You do things and then God accepts you. You do things, and then God accepts you. And that's, that's kind of the, the principle, and that's kind of the rhythm that the world created on its own. But then Jesus comes, and God introduces a new rhythm, something entirely new. And mankind has a hard time getting this new rhythm, because even outside of the realm of religion, we all were brought up on things like this. Eat your broccoli. And you'll get dessert. Clean up your room. You'll get a gold star. And if you get a star, mom and dad will be happy. Right? Does this sound a little familiar? Maybe maybe some of you have experienced this somewhere in your life. If you get good grades, you'll pass the class. You will graduate. If you work hard, you'll get some money. If you get enough money... You can buy that car. If you have that nice car, maybe she will go out with you. If you treat her nice, she might stick around. Uh, But if you hurt her feelings, you have to ask for forgiveness. Now, if she agrees to marry you, people might look at you differently. Maybe you'll be considered for that promotion. Maybe that means more responsibilities. So you better perform because if you don't, the company might not do well this quarter. And there might be cutbacks. And if you lose your job, you may not be able to provide for your family. And schools aren't cheap. There are no free lunches, after all. Even broccoli is getting more expensive these days. So everything seems to be a two-way street. I'll do this for you, and then you'll do that for me. And that has been the rhythm the world has been working on And we have the hardest time breaking out of that or thinking of anything different. It seems like always accomplishment precedes acceptance. Achievement always precedes approval. But then enter Jesus and the gospel. And God introduces something that isn't two-way. It's grace. And grace is one way. Romans 5.8 says that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Sinners haven't done anything. We haven't done anything. But then God does something for us. It's one way. It's grace, and grace is one way. And grace is a one-way love that has shocked this world And its reverberation is still shaking the world today. And if you pause and you'll be still, you'll know that he's God. And you can pick up this rhythm. You can sense it. You can know it. And I think a good number of us here today have received grace. And and, and at that initial moment, 
we understood, we understood that we're more wicked than we ever thought, but that we're also more loved than we ever hoped. In that moment, we knew that Jesus took our place and we believed and trusted in him with our very lives. We started with grace, but we have a hard time continuing in grace. Especially in a world that's always demanding two-way street, demanding earning for acceptance, demanding earning for approval at every angle. Now, over the next month, I want to show you the rhythm of the gospel, the rhythm that Jesus lived out, a new way of living. It's living by grace, and it's living fully alive. And I want to identify four rhythms, the table, communitas, celebration, and recreation. It's dependence on a one-way love that still shocks the world today. And our world needs to be shocked by the people of God living this gospel rhythm of grace. So the first one today I want to talk about the rhythm of the table. And I want to take you on a tour of the gospel according to Luke, a gospel that repeatedly demonstrates the one-way rhythm of the table. And when I say table, I do mean dinner table. I don't mean the poker table, all right? Not everyone in the world gets three square meals, but everyone wishes they could. Now, how, many of you, how many of you eat at least two, three times a day? Yeah, I mean, it's just a natural rhythm. We are created with hunger, and there's a way to fill that hunger and satisfy it. And, and we do that. We come around and eat, and uh, we may eat in different ways. But today, I want to show you an example of one of the ways that people ate, and it's coming around a table. Now, you know, to join someone at a meal, no matter where you're at, no matter what culture, is always a sign of friendship in every culture around the world. And I believe that we can use the table as a means of demonstrating a new way of living. We can invite those who are outside of Christ and shock them with grace. And we can invite those who are inside Christ and strengthen grace. So here's, here's uh, the first snapshot from Luke, all right? Jesus is at the house of Simon the Pharisee, and he's having dinner with them. They're sitting around the table. Now, not every Pharisee was an idiot, and, uh, and Jesus actually was pretty hard on the Pharisees, but there were times when he also uh, had some Pharisees that he was able to relate with. They would actually listen and talk with him. And uh, anyway, this was one of those moments where he was in the house with, of Simon and uh, having dinner with him. And it says, while they're reclining at, at the table, you know, and again, Middle Eastern culture, tables are low to ground, probably the same as this little platform here, and they lay on their side and they eat. And, you know, there's always this thing of where you put your feet, and it's kind of behind the person's back, and you kind of arrange yourselves around the table so you don't have your feet in front of someone's face. And so it's kind of tricky, but everyone learns how to do it, and that's the way they ate. And so Jesus is reclining at the table eating, and uh, there's an uninvited guest that comes into the room. And this uninvited guest is a woman, and she stands at Jesus' feet, and, and, he, and she begins weeping, and the tears start falling on his feet. And, and so she leans down and she begins wiping and drying his feet with her hair, which her hair being down was also kind of a, you know, not a respectable thing at that time and, and with the manners and customs of that people. And so this lady is blowing it in every single way. She's an uninvited guest. She shows up uh, and she starts crying in front of the, the important guest in the home. And then she's got her hair down. She's wiping his feet. Man, this lady is doing everything wrong. And Simon, Simon the Pharisee, is watching all this. 
And he begins to think to himself, if Jesus were really a prophet, then he would know who's touching him. Because I know this lady from the neighborhood, and she doesn't have a good reputation. In fact, she's a sinner. And, and so he's got this little attitude. Now, now, pause here just for a moment. What was Simon assuming? He was assuming the two-way street. See, if you want to be near the holy man, you got to do these things. If you better shape up your life. If you know, be respectable like me, and maybe the holy man, Jesus, will have do the honor of coming to your table. So here in this moment, Simon is saying, You do this, then you'll get that. The two-way street. But then Jesus reverses everything on Simon and his assumptions about the rules of the fellowship of the table. And he tells Simon this little story. Simon, there are two men that owed a money lender some money. One guy owned about, owed him about $200. The other guy owed him about 25 bucks. And the money, they came to the money lender and said, we don't have a way to pay you. We don't have it. We can't do it. And the money lender said, okay, it's wiped off. It's clear. You don't owe me anything. Go on free. And, and then Jesus stops and asks Simon, Simon, which do you think of these two men that owed the debt, which, which of them think, do you think loved the money lender more? And Simon says, well, I suppose maybe the guy who owed him more. And Jesus said, well, yes, he did. And then he goes on to point out to Simon how he's kind of been a poor host. And he really didn't show much love to Jesus when he came in. Uh, he didn't greet him the normal greeting, didn't offer to wash his feet. And this lady was washing his feet with her tears. And, and, and obviously Simon was a little standoffish, being a Pharisee. Uh, maybe didn't offer some of the common courtesies that were often offered to anyone coming into a household in those days. And so uh, Jesus talks about his lack of love. And of course, if you associate to this parable, it's the thing of, well, he, he hasn't sinned much, and so he doesn't love much. Or, uh, and you can kind of get that idea. But really the point of this story is not so, so much the response to grace and the forgiveness, but the truth that we're all the greater debtor. We all owe the 200 bucks, not the 25. Now, sometimes we might assume the two-way street, and we might think, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like the dude that owns 20, owes 25 bucks. I really haven't done that much bad. And I think Simon kind of put himself in that place, you know? He's looking at this woman kind of going, I'm not as much of a debtor as her. her. Not much of a sinner, as much of a sinner as her. And it's, it's the wrong... It's not the point that Jesus was making. You see, none of us has a small debt when it comes to sin. And there's nothing we can do about that sin, can we? We're like those guys. We, we can't pay it off. We're helpless. You see, that woman, she couldn't do anything about her past. She couldn't do anything about her position in society and the way that people looked at her. But Jesus demonstrates a one-way love at the table, not a two-way street. All right, second snapshot from Luke explains a little more about Jesus' view of the table and a new rhythm for the world. Jesus was again at a Pharisee's house and for dinner, and there was lots of guests this time, and they're all jockeying for the best position around the table. Like I said, they're all lying down, reclining. Sometimes at certain positions, maybe at the corners, was where you got feet in the face. And so you didn't want to be at that corner spot. So you wanted to get in a better position. You didn't want to get the sorry spot. And then sometimes there was, oh, I want to sit by the guest of honor, or I want to sit next to the host. And so there are these little prize seats that everybody's trying to get to. And, and Jesus is watching all this. And then he says something about it. And then, then he goes and he says this. 
says to the host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back so that you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So Jesus tells about the one-way love that can be demonstrated at the table. Don't invite those who can repay you. Oh, that's my little alarm. Somebody else have an alarm? It's noontime. All right, let's practice this little, this little interruption. This is the way it happens in real life. Lord, God, move our hearts that we might care more for the people around us. Lord, help us not to have the attitude of Simon uh, or the Pharisees. Lord, help us care for the people in this city like you do. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, they're around the table. They're jockeying. Jesus says, this is the way. Uh, you know, uh, don't invite those who can pay you. Don't even think that way. Now, isn't that hard today, though? I mean, when someone invites you over for dinner, what's the like, most common response that you would, you would say to them? Oh, we'll have you over for dinner sometime. It's like we have to repay them. We can't stand the idea of being indebted to someone in some way. And it's just this funny thing. We don't know how to receive gifts. Or, or maybe it's just a social custom that we've kind of grown used to, but it has a strange, it's, it's a strange thought. Because when someone invited you over, they weren't thinking, hey, yeah, I'm inviting them over because sometime they're going to invite me back over to their place. That wasn't the reason they invited you over. No. So in this strange thing, we're, we're used to a two-way street. In fact, what would happen if you invited someone over for dinner or a cookout and they responded that way to you? And, and they said, hey, you know what, uh, Tim and Lisa, um, we'd love to have you over too. And what if you guys just said, no, that, that wasn't the point. You know, th- this is just grace between us. It's, it's to say, we're inviting you to friendship. And, and that might freak them out. They might kind of go, oh, okay. And, and, or or that might, might make them go, well, what do you mean by that? It gives us a chance to share that. What, what, what do we mean by that? Look, it, it's just a simple way to say uh, that, hey, I hope your appetite is whetted more for what Christ offers us. Or maybe it's just a bond to strengthen those who already are in Christ. It's a good thing. It's something that everybody does. This isn't a program. It's eating. It's around the table. But when we invite Jesus into our coming to the table, there's a beautiful grace that's brought to it. So, another snapshot of the rhythm of the table from Luke. Jesus walks through Jericho, and uh, there was a wee little man up in a tree. And uh, this wee little man is hoping to get a sight of Jesus. And uh, Jesus, when he comes up to the tree and he speaks to Zacchaeus, he doesn't uh, ask Zacchaeus if he can come to his house or doesn't even wait for Zacchaeus to invite him to his house. He just says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. You better get down and make the preparations. And Zacchaeus is overjoyed. He's so excited and immediately responds. Now, not everybody was so excited when Jesus did this, uh, you know, because, you know, Zacchaeus, he was the chief tax collector in that region. And uh, if you know uh, a few things about the, the customs in the time, the tax collectors were working for the Romans, those who were occupying the, the, the territory of Israel and Judah. And so they were looked at as, as traitors. And so Zacchaeus was a traitor, and he wasn't looked upon very nicely. Now, when Zacchaeus chose his profession, uh, I'm sure there may have been a point, or there could have been a time, I imagine, that he was like, I'm going to be a good tax man. I'm, I'm not going to cheat my people. 
I'm going to represent the Roman government. I'm going to do the job. And, and, and I'm sure he may have started that way. But the view was so negative. It didn't matter if he had good intentions. People would have said, sorry, you're not welcome in this synagogue. You can't worship here. Sorry, you can't. Uh, sorry, you're not going to be a part of the festival we're having. Sorry, get out of here. And there would have been this isolating, this marginalizing, this outcasting. And, and I'm sure there may have been a point where he was just like, well, forget it. If you're just going to call me a bad man, I will be a bad man. I'll play the part. I will cheat you. I will take your money if that's the way you're going to treat me. It, you know, it could have been like that. Or it could have just been, it, it, maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it wasn't changed. Maybe it was just because he was a short guy. He got a Napoleon complex. And he just, he just liked power. And he excelled and went up the ladder. And he became the chief tax collector. And as chief tax, tax collector, man, he could skim the top off of his other tax collectors that were under him. And he was just in the money and making it. And you could just think of him kind of like a Bernie Madoff. You know that guy in 2009 that ripped off uh, all those people of their retirement funds and their money? $65 billion. Not $65 million, $65 billion. And he was spending it all on himself. Crazy. And, you know, there was grandpas, grandmas, moms, dads, aunts, and uncles that lost their retirement. And Bernie Madoff, he's in prison right now. But I can tell you, he's probably one of the most hated men in this country because of what he did to those people. Now, you can just think of Zacchaeus as Bernie Madoff. And, and, uh, and just, think, just think now, if Bernie, Bernie's in prison, but just think if your boss, your employer, went to go visit Bernie, what would you think about that? Most hated man in America, and, and your boss goes, would you kind of scratch your head and go, how do you know Bernie? Why are you visiting him? And where's my retirement going to? You know, you might have some questions, and there might be a little guilt by association that happens there. Well, that's what happened with Jesus when he goes to Zacchaeus' house, and people say, friend of sinner. And Jesus, it's, it's labeled on Jesus, and thank God it is. Thank God he's a friend of sinners. But that's what happened to Jesus. He gets labeled. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing when he invited Zacchaeus to the dinner table. It was an invitation to friendship. Yeah, think about it. Think about it. The dinner table being an invitation to friendship. I mean, th- when you go to work, and maybe uh, you have a work, a business lunch. You do a business lunch, uh, you invite some people, and you talk about business at lunch. And yeah, it's, it's kind of fun, because you're out of the office, it's, you're eating food, it's nice, and you hope that there is some breaking down the walls of things, because, you know, like what happens when you eat food, just that, that uh, build some good relationships in business. But then you go back to the office, and it's all the same. And, and, and you know, everybody picks up their own tab, right? You know, everybody pays. And, and, uh, but it's a little different, though, when you invite someone from work to your house, isn't it? That, that says something different. That's saying, hey, I want to get to know you. Hey, I'm inviting you to friendship. We don't say that out loud, but that's what we're doing, isn't it? It's different because when they come to your house, you're not charging them $9.99 for the meal, are you? No, no you're, not, you're not doing that because you're inviting them as a friend to the table. You want to get to know them. And so this is what Jesus has done, and it turned Zacchaeus' world upside down. And it is a one-way love that is directed right at him. And he's overjoyed at the grace and friendship that Jesus extends to him. Now, up to this point, has, has Zacchaeus done anything? Anything for Jesus? Nope. He just got an invitation. Let's go have dinner together. Showing up at your house. 
It's one way. One way. And what follows Zacchaeus' response is a response to that one-way grace. He is changed by a one-way love of Jesus. And he says, hey, I, I give all my possessions, I give half my possessions to the poor, and I'll pay back anybody, anybody I've cheated four times the amount. Next snapshot is from Luke, is around the table. And, and Jesus, he's already died, and he's resurrected, or so the women who visit the tomb have told the disciples. And there's two of the disciples, they're on the road to Emmaus, and they're, they're walking, and they're scratching their heads, and, and they're going to this town just outside Jerusalem, and on their walk along the road, they're talking about all that's happened, they're confused, they're wondering what's going on, and someone comes up alongside them and overhears them discussing all that's happened. And this unrecognized traveler asks, what, what are you discussing? And they give a little brief synopsis, and, and the stranger replies, how slow of heart you are to believe all the prophets have spoken. And then beginning from Moses all the way to the prophets, he explains to them what was been said in the scriptures concerning the Messiah. And the two disciples, as they're walking along listening, they're stirred. Their hearts are encouraged. In fact, their hearts are on fire as this man speaks, opening up their understanding of the scriptures like they've never understood before. And walking at three miles per hour for seven miles to this little town of Emmaus was about two hours. So for two hours, they are the recipients of this one-way exhortation, encouragement, and has not fallen on hard hearts. And the two are so wound up, they insist that the travelers stay with them and they share a meal. And while at the table, this unknown traveler, he takes the bread in a very familiar way. This, who else do I know has done this before? And then this traveler offers thanks in a very familiar way. And they scratch their heads and go, that, that seems familiar. Who, who else has given thanks that way? And then as the man takes the bread and hands it to them, their eyes are open and they see and recognize that it's Jesus. And then Jesus does a Star Trek thing and he disappears on them. And they, they go crazy. They go running back all the way to Jerusalem to tell what's going on. But that was a moment around the table. A moment around the table and I just wonder if we would learn the rhythm of the table, inviting our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers. I wonder if the unseen guest at our table, Jesus, would reveal himself to our friends. I wonder if those outside Christ would experience a one-way love for the first time that would melt their hearts. I wonder if those who already know Christ, if their faith would be encouraged and set aflame again. I know that some of us, depending on the season of our lives, getting around the table with just our immediate family is a difficult task. I know, I got teenagers. They're driving every which way. They got practices, rehearsals, things like that. And to get them together just for two times around the meal, it, it's, it's sometimes kind of hard. I understand. But I'm telling you, it is a keystone thing that can really set off a ripple effect in your family. Some really great things. I, I know because I, I grew up in a family, we didn't even have a dinner table for a majority of, of my life growing up. And, and so it, it was sitting in front of the TV and, and eating some food, not even talking to each other. And I didn't really know different until I went to someone else's house and sat around a table and, and saw all the conversations and looked in people's faces instead of a screen. It was an amazing thing. Now I know that maybe some of you are like that and I just want to say it's possible to change to a new rhythm, something different that can really bring life and bring freshness to a family. Maybe you're at a point where maybe there's some struggles and some relationships in your home. Maybe you got a rebellious teenager in your house. What would happen 
if you would show some one-way love at the table towards that teenager. Maybe your spouse and you aren't relating so well, but what would happen if you would stop the craziness of your schedule and just sit down at the table and show a little one-way love, not expecting anything in return from your spouse? What would happen if maybe, uh, despite little kids throwing world peas around your table, uh, maybe you said, you know what, it doesn't seem like the best idea to invite somebody around this table with my toddlers smearing food all over the place, but I'm going to do it anyway. And what if that's just what somebody needs to see? They need to see a mom and a dad showing that one-way love to a two-year-old that's throwing a fit because they've never seen that before. Or if they just go, wow, that's what I needed to see tonight. Isn't it a chance at the table that we have a, a chance to demonstrate the same kind of love that the Father showed us while we were still sinners? Look, I, I know it may not be a regular practice for you, but I encourage you to take the first step. If, if, if you don't have this rhythm in your house, I, I just want to say don't, don't try to change it all at once, but ease into it, take a step at a time. So if you don't have this rhythm of coming around the table, try one night a week. Or maybe, maybe nights are crazy, maybe it's a morning. Maybe it's more, you can get everybody around the table in the morning. Either way, one time a week, try getting everybody around the table and just see what will happen. And, and then if, 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 you're, if you're a family who's, who's got this going on and you've you got this one time a week, I, I challenge you then once a month, invite somebody to join you who's outside your family. Once a month, invite somebody to join you. I, and, and maybe, maybe uh, that's a little, little freaky. You haven't played host before. That's new. It's okay. Invite somebody who's already a Christ follower, who's going to be merciful and gracious to you. Invite them over and, and just see how well that experience goes. Try it out. I, I think it will be a great time. I think you'll find out that there's a lot of encouragement and good things that happen. And, and if you, you're already good with that, you've already established that kind of rhythm, uh, you're okay with inviting somebody over, I want to encourage you to do what Jesus instructed. Invite somebody over who you know won't repay you. Invite somebody over who, who maybe you think doesn't know the Lord. Invite somebody over that, that maybe uh, isn't yet a believer. Invite them around your table and just see what happens. See what kind of conversation comes up. There's all kinds of wonderful things that happen when you eat a meal and all things, kind of things that you talk about. And I know, I know that conversation will probably come around somewhere close that conversation about the unseen guest who's at your table he'll always find a way to enter in the conversation if you invite him if you invite him so i challenge you to this and i and i know maybe some of you look i i know you might not be a great cook but you know what there's some great restaurants in this town who have takeout delivery and you can work with that make something happen you know give a gift to someone by inviting them to your table and let's not just encounter grace once in our lives, but let's learn to live lives of grace by demonstrating one-way one way love. And one of the ways you can do that is at the table. Get the rhythm of the table. The band's going to come up now, and we're going to continue with our worship. But right now, if you have never encountered the one-way love of Jesus, a love that doesn't depend on you doing something for Him, then I want to invite you to the table of Jesus. You see, also in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus had a meal with His disciples, a special meal where he introduced these elements that represented something that symbolized something special. He said before this meal, he said, I eagerly desire to eat this meal with you. It's something that he eagerly desires to eat with you. 
And, and at the table, he gave these elements that symbolize the grace of his one-way love. Bread representing his body given up for us, taking our place on the cross. He gave uh, wine representing his blood poured out for us to take away our sin and unrighteousness. And also his imparting that righteousness that we need. And he said that these elements were symbols of his new covenant. A promise. His promise that it all depends on him, not on you. Now yes, yes it is an invitation to friendship. A responsive relationship. Just like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always had this perfect fellowship. And they've opened it up, invited us in through the Son. Now I don't know where you've been. I don't know your story, all of you. And I, you may have walked in here today, and, and I don't care what, what your past has been, atheist or agnostic or whatever the story is, haven't been to church forever, it doesn't matter. I just want to say there's belief in your heart today. If, God is, if there wasn't belief before, but somehow there's belief now that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he did that for you, not for those other people then I want to invite you and say, let this communion, taking of these elements, be your first act of faith. Let it be your act of faith today, saying, yes, I believe. I believe that you did this for me. And take that bread, represents his body. Dip it in that juice that represents his blood. And remember, he did it for you. So Nathan and the band is going to lead us, and we're going to, we're going to share communion. You can get up at any time, go to the four corners of the room, and sharing communion with us. This isn't about belonging to a certain church. This is about belonging to Jesus. So Heavenly Father, in these next few moments, I just want to ask that you would help us to remember what your one way love is like, that, that we don't have to perform to get your approval, that you've given it to us through the cross. We just believe, we just trust. That's all we have to do. So, Lord, work here in this moment and unite us as believers, strengthen us by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.